Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of The Breakthrough Maze. My name is Joe Applebaum, and what I do here is I speak to entrepreneurs that are looking to create more power, more freedom, and more self-expression in their life. Welcome to the program. This is Joe Applebaum again here, and I have the wonderful Pamela Gold. She is an expert biohacker, coach, and personal development guru. And we got introduced probably like six years ago in 2015 by a good friend of mine, Adam. And ever since then, we've just been in touch online and we recently met and I figured, you know what? She has so much amazing knowledge for you guys. So I figured, let me interview her. Let me ask her some questions and let's see how she can enlighten us for us to be able to have higher energy, be happier and live a more powerful life. So Pamela, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat and see what burning questions you have about saving time and getting better results. So, okay. So I listened to a podcast that you were interviewed at and you said that someone can work out for 41 minutes a week and get their body shredded. What is that all about? Cause I always thought that you had to work out, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes every single day, break a sweat, get your endorphins going, eat right, be, sleep right, all this other stuff. But yours like 41 minutes a week, not 41 minutes a day. What is that all about? So there's a combination of things, right? So first is defining workouts. And the way that I define a workout or an exercise routine, it's it's when you are um, basically time under tension, you are working out hard to get a specific result. And so I'm not talking about being active because like I'm active every hour I'm moving around and at no point in our lives are we meant to be sedentary. So I'm not talking about activity. I'm talking about a real hard workout where yes, you get your heart rate up and yes, you're lifting heavy things, doing heavy work intentionally. And there's ways to do this really simply and really small amounts of time that get better results. And so there's two buckets to talk about. One is the strength training where we're building our muscle and the other is the cardiovascular um, fine tuning of the system. But in both cases, it's really important to understand we don't work out to burn calories. So those other things you talked about, about eating healthy, eating the right amounts of food at the right time, sleeping really good, still super, super important. This is not um, you know, a way to avoid having to take care of ourselves in those ways. But what we are talking about is basically giving our bodies the stimulation that it needs, the challenge that it needs in the as fine-tuned a dose as possible to get the adaptive um, response of a healthier body. So on the cardiovascular side, research has shown that people get better results using a bike like Carol and a Carol bike uses artificial intelligence to give you the perfect resistance in two 20 second sprints. So basically you're on the bike for 10 minutes, only two 20 second sprints. So 40 seconds of hard work. You do that three times a week, you get better results than doing a steady state cardio, like 30 minutes of jogging five times a week, which is the normal American, you know, dosage. They say you have to do the five times a week, 30 minutes, for 150 minutes of moderate to intense, you know, exercise a week, you get better results actually doing a lot less. And in those two 20 second sprints that you're going to do three times a week, it's awful. I'm not going to tell you that it's, it's not awful, but it's astounding how you get better results in these tiny micro bursts of really high intensity workout. than you do um, spreading it out over a longer period of time. So that's on the cardio side. And that has to do with our body's ability to bring in oxygen, get the oxygen to our tissues and be really efficient 
in having the oxygenation system and then the sugar uh, replenishments like the glycogen, glycogen stores in our muscles. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about cardiovascular fitness. So that's one bucket. You have any questions about the cardio piece? So, okay. Yeah, I do. I have so many questions. So many questions. Working out for 20 seconds. So it's 10 Mm -hmm. minutes total. So yeah, it's like nine minutes and 40 seconds. You're basically warming up for four minutes. Then you work out for 20. Okay. Two minutes warm up, 20 second sprint. The bike tells you you're getting chased by a tiger. And all of a sudden there's heavy resistance on the bike, on the flywheel, heavy resistance, 20 seconds getting, you know, chased by a tiger. The first 10 seconds, you're like golden. The second 10 seconds, you're looking at the clock and you're like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? And then it's over in 20 seconds. You recover for three minutes. You do it again, another 20 seconds, and then a cool down for three minutes. And that's it. And that's, and can you do that by running as well? Can you just? Yes. So so here's, here's. you can, but here's the thing. All of us, as I know, you know, our mind plays tricks on us. So our mind will tell us what our max all out effort is, and it will be substantially less than what our real max all out effort is. And so when I do this without the artificial intelligence of the Carol bike, I go for 30 seconds instead of 20 seconds, which is 33% more, but you, you know, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's still only 30 seconds. So like if you're on an assault bike where you're creating your own resistance, or if you're healthy enough to do hill sprints, for example, but there's a lot of people who, you know, if you just suddenly sprint up a hill, you could get injured if you're actually not in the best condition to do that. But that's why the Carol bike is so great because it assesses your fitness level over six rides before it puts resistance on you. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is you can technically find a hill that takes 20 seconds to run up and all out sprint. Just, you could just all out go as fast as possible up a hill mm-hmm. and then do that twice mm-hmm. with, a, with a cool down in between. Mm-hmm. And that'll get you better results than running for 30 minutes a day. And you only have to do that three times a week. Yep. Wow. Period. What if you ran up the hill for an hour? <laughs> so here's the thing, right? We all know this. I mean, I, I love working out. I've loved working out for a long time. It is a, it's a huge part of my mental game because showing yourself that you can do hard things and that you can still be fine is really important mentally. Um, so I'm not opposed to going to like a, a soul cycle class or Peloton doing longer, longer workouts. But the thing is, when you know you're doing 45 minutes or an hour, or even I've done 90 minute like soul cycle classes, you naturally are going to hold back because you know you got to make it to the end. Or if you don't really hold back, you're going to be losing steam and you're not going to actually be able to fully participate at the full level later on. So if you enjoy a 45 minute or a 60 minute workout, and that's part of your kind of mental enjoyment, like music appreciation, you're moving your body, that's totally fine. Um, And you will burn more calories doing that. And so if you're someone whose goal is to lose fat, right? To have your body composition change. And I always really like to shine a light on um, the difference between losing fat, building muscle, because losing weight across the board, you want to understand that you don't want to lose muscle. You want to lose fat if that's one of your goals. And I also am all about educating people that fat isn't evil. We need fat to have healthy, thriving bodies. And our society has shamed us into thinking that a healthy level of fat is actually, you know, undesirable. And it's, it's really important to love our fat. Um, but if you're someone who is looking to, you know, maybe you're getting married and you say, Hey, I want to really lean out before my wedding, doing more cardio, you will burn more calories and that can help speed up the weight loss. But then you also have to pay attention to the hormonal impact of that. Cause some people don't lose the weight because their bodies are under stress and then your body holds onto the fat. So there's a lot to talk about there. 
Oh, wow. There was so much right there as well. Just what you said about hormonal stress, but I want to get back to, to, okay. So cardio, what you're saying is what is the purpose of this particular set of cardio that you're doing? If it's not to lose weight, is it to build muscle when you're doing the 20 second sprints? No, no. So cardio talks about the functionality of our cardiovascular system. So if you think about what our systems need to do in order for our body to be healthy, you know, our ability to breathe in, bring oxygen into our lungs, the oxygen then passes into the bloodstream, goes through the heart, and then gets dispersed to all of our, our cells in our body, right? So we make sure that all of our cells are getting oxygen. And then as our body's using the oxygen, they're also using sugar, and then everything gets depleted and gets refreshed and replenished. So that's the cardiovascular system. Now, the metrics we look at are blood pressure, our resting heart rate. Um, you can tie it to hip to weight ratio that you are losing belly fat. Like you wanna see that your visceral fat is lower because when our bodies are healthier, we don't hold as much visceral fat, which is that fat underneath kind of in the midsection and like around all of our organs. Um, so you do wanna keep an eye on that hip to waist ratio because we wanna see that our waist is getting smaller. Um, so these are the metrics that overall you're looking at to assess our overall fitness level cardiovascularly, metabolically. Make sense? Yeah. So you're, what you're saying is your fitness level will improve by doing that faster than running 30 minutes a day. Yes. You won't necessarily yes. get thinner. You won't necessarily lose weight or muscle or fat, but you will get healthier as a human being by doing that. You'll get those, healthier. Right. Okay. Because the food piece, calories in, calories out, that's how, in the most basic sense, um, that's what determines our overall weight right? Now you could keep the same weight, burn fat, add muscle, and you may weigh exactly the same. Your body will look entirely different. Your waist will be smaller, right? Your body will be, be curvier because the muscle has the definition and your body will look stronger, more lean, more svelte. Okay. Now talk, let's talk about that. Let's move on to muscle. Now you talked about yes, cardiovascular. Let's move mm -hmm. on to strength training. Is it yes. does the same rule apply for strength training doing fewer amounts of reps, but harder amounts of reps. Is that the same thing? So there's, there's a lot of science on this and it's, it's not exactly the same and everybody's different in terms of how your body responds to this, but there's a book written um, by Dr. Doug McGuff called body by science. And there was a lot of research that demonstrated the most effective way to build muscle is a slow and heavy protocol. And it's most people, if you follow this protocol, need between four and eight days rest in between one session. And this one session is one rep of each, not one rep, one set of each, and usually very slow. So maybe like six or eight reps. It's a minute and 45 seconds per exercise. So the way we did it at Hacked, we focused on the big five, leg press, pull down, overhead press, chest press, and row. So that's the big five, which studies show that gets all of your main muscle groups, whether it's the primary movers, secondary movers, or stabilizers. And you do each exercise a minute and 45 seconds where you are going to complete fatigue. And when we say complete fatigue, form always matters. So when you start to get fatigued, suppose you're doing a chest press and you start to get tired, your form can get really wonky, right? So it's super important that you're working with a trainer or you know your own form and you can keep your form in integrity. 
because it's super, super important, especially it depends on what um, tools you're using to complete this type of workout, because you want to use a weight that's roughly 85% of your one rep max when you're doing this. So very, very heavy weight, which normally would mean there's a higher chance of injury, right? If you don't know what you're doing and how do you make sure it's 85% of that's your you one rep max, all these that, things. That's why you need somebody to kind of like guide you and help you out. Or you need the right tool. Or, the right or you need the right tool. So either you need an expert a trainer. The first time I started doing this, I used one of my dear friends as a trainer and I made him work with me because we were using free rates, free weights to determine my 85% um, level for each of these exercises. And then after that, I was using machines. But then when I opened up Hacked, the reason why I opened up Hacked, which was my biohacking facility in New York, was because there was a tool that made all of this super, super safe. It's all computerized. It's all digital. You can see all the weights and you can track it all. And you're the one creating the weight. So at no point are you holding weight that's too heavy. So if you have the right tool, the other tool that's an awesome tool for this is a resistance band set. Because resistance bands um, are adaptive resistance, the more you stretch the band, the more weight you're going to hold, it gets you to fatigue quicker and safer. And so there's some really high quality resistance bands on the market that are strong enough to get you to 85% of your one rep max that can also give you this super, super efficient workout. It's literally about 12 minutes once a week for most people. But it's, and that is enough. it's 12 minutes of exhausting work. It's 12 minutes of basically the closest thing to childbirth that as I might, I joke with my female friends, like my female clients, Wow, it's the wow. closest thing because you want to go to fatigue. So the same way that we talked about in cardio, how we often underestimate what we're capable of, right? We underestimate what we're capable of. And so you really need to get out of your comfort zone, find the working zone. All the magic happens as we both know out of our comfort zone. So you want to find the working zone where you're going to get to fatigue in a minute and 45 seconds, roughly. Wow. Wow. And once you do that, you rest for four days and then you come back four, in four to eight days. days, four yeah. to eight days, four to eight because days you really just, and do you get Charlie horse after that? No, because you're not working out that long, you're getting to fatigue and your muscles will shake and you might not be able to like, the joke is there was one time I was doing um, an overhead press and it was gnarly. And after I was done, I was the one who was doing it. And I had my trainers that were being trained to, to coach me through it. And they wanted to give me a high five after I did it. There was no way I could lift up my arm and give them a high five. I just like looked at them and laughed because like my arm was like I didn't even have an arm. Do you so feel you look pressure? at Charlie horses. Do you feel pressure in your head when you're going to 100%? So that comes down to breath. So if we're mindful of our breath, and I'm a huge, huge uh, proponent of, of mindful breathing and being aware of how we use our breath to stabilize and stay present and keep breathing, it's very common for people to hold their breath when they're under that extreme stress. And so that's one of the things that I've always coached on is breathing steadily through any of those high level um, exertion exercises. So because if, if you hold your breath, pressure on your head, make sure you're breathing. Well, <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> right. So if you're feeling a lot of pressure, let's say you're doing pushups. If you, let's mm -hmm. say a person can only do five pushups mm -hmm. and they go and they try to move to seven to eight mm -hmm. to 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. When they're getting past where they can't go anymore, usually their head feels like it's about to explode when they push one more. So what I would say, my bet would be that person isn't breathing because what we would expect to be feeling is fatigue in the muscles. But what most people do, they hold their breath 
because it's one of the ways it's like adaptive. We hold our breath when we're in fight or flight, we stop breathing. We then limit the amount of oxygen we have to get to all of our muscles. And it actually limits the amount of capacity that our muscles have. So we're shooting ourselves in the foot in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, as we age, we definitely don't want to hold our breath and increase blood pressure in our brain. No point. So, so when you hold your breath, you increase blood pressure to the brain. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah. Mm, and that feeling of the head being full is you holding your breath basically and blood pressure increasing in your head. So you can that would be breathe, my bed. either breathe or stop working so hard. I recommend breathing. I mean, I really am a huge fan of just breathing and noticing because one of my, one of my breath work teachers, my friend Sage Raider says, um, if it stops you in your breath, it stops you in life. Mm. So learning to breathe through the discomfort. And if you can breathe through it in your breath, you can get through it in life. But if you hold your breath and you, it stops your breath, then you're not letting go talk, because think about inhale, exhale. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the stimulus, the, the way that people are in this flight or flight mode. Let's get into that. Cause you mentioned it earlier with the cardiovascular people trying to lose weight. You cannot lose weight if your body's full of cortisol all the time because your body's just Correct. not going to lose the weight. So <laughs> Correct. You, you can, so like, there's a lot of people who stress eat. They're always in stress, especially Gemini's. Yeah. They're always in stress. They're always <laughs> losing. I'm talking about my mother. So they're always in stress and they're always kind of like when they're stressed out, they got to go eat the whole entire pie of pizza or buy a mm -hmm. box of cookies or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they can never lose weight because they're eating. But in reality, they're not losing weight because their stress hormones are always on and they're using all the hormones that keep them fat. Can you talk about that? Why it's so important to get into like this calm state of mind so that you can lose weight? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that you said that are really important. One is about, you know, the emotional eating, right? We, we eat to feel calm, to feel better, to satiate something that isn't satiated. It's comfort, right? And most people say that's our relationship with our mother. So um, it's about the food, but it's not about the food. There's always a deeper kind of pattern of, of where we find comfort, where we find peace. Some people eat because they're bored, but you're particularly talking about stress. So for most people who stress eat, it's because the food very early on became wired as a source of comfort, right? Totally understandable. So no shame, no guilt, understandable. And that's a hard, deeply wired kind of pattern to, to change, right? So great deal of compassion. If this is you, I understand. And there's nothing wrong with you. It's very, very normal. Okay. So two things, if you binge eat, which means you eat a lot more at one time than you planned, um, especially if it's carbs or sugar, that is really important to understand for around diabetes because that impacts our insulin response and um, long-term that's what leads to diabetes. So dumping a lot of sugar, simple carbs into our body, whether it's bread, um, pasta, cookies, cake, any of those kind of biscuits, anything that's a simple carb, that's really, really important to understand for diabetes and to work on changing this behavior as soon as possible. So separate from even losing weight, being chubby, whatever, whatever, diabetes, it's a thing. There's a reason why it's an epidemic in our country. So understanding that's super important. Now, in terms of stress eating, yes, the more cortisol we have in our system, the more our body thinks that winter's coming and that we're going to hold on. And when do we, um, you know, eat a lot of food It's right before winter. So there's a lot of signals that we're giving our body that winter's coming. And, and then our body is like, I'm going to hold on to fat as much as possible. And that's, that's very hormonal, right? And now in our country, we never have winter. There's never a time where we fast, 
we always can just go to the grocery store and get more food. So it's really important to understand kind of these patterns that they're normal and that changing our behavior around food can be very hard for some people and that's normal too. And so as you start to set goals around changing your behavior, there's three things that are the most helpful things. One, self-monitoring. So keeping a diary or an app where you're holding yourself accountable for better or for worse, here's what I ate, here's what I drank. And you just estimate the amount. Holding yourself accountable and self-monitoring has been shown to help people change their behavior 85% better than not doing it at all. So you have 85% better chance of success if you self-monitor. Two is around meal planning. So you plan what you're going to eat ahead of time. So you don't find yourself, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, out to eat place you didn't think you were going to be. And, oh my gosh, it's like, like the other day we had our pizza. You and I were great because we weren't like, oh my God, pizza. And we shared a pizza and we had a salad with it. Totally responsible. But for a lot of people, you suddenly find yourself at a pizza place and you've been kind of restricting pizza for a while. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to eat a whole pie. Right. And so that's normal. So planning ahead of time. So you always have healthy food with you and a plan. And then the third is meal regulation. So you only eat when it's mealtime, no snacking. Don't eat after 7 30, 8 o'clock. If you eat within a couple hours of bedtime, it tanks your sleep. So no late night snacking, period, end stop for a whole host of reasons. But those three behavioral change, the self-monitoring, the meal regulation, and the meal planning will help us start to really get our food behavior under control. And if those three things are hard, you may need a higher level of support around behavioral and emotional kind of support and therapy because food addiction is a thing, both chemically with the sugar and the simple carbs and the process addiction, you know, putting something in our mouth. It's a thing. Wow. Wow. So there's, there's that itself could be like another hour of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much to unpack over there. I want to go back to like the stress. Why does, why does somebody who is, let's say a high level entrepreneur and is always stressed out, why does that cause them to, to re retain their fat? Why does stress cause human beings to retain fat or to get well, fat? On a, on a hormonal level, right? Cortisol um, is the main hormone that, that works towards this. And then there's a cascade effect with other hormones in our body. So on a hormonal level, stress is an adaptive response. Like stress tells the body, we don't know what's going to happen. We're, we have all this high level of uncertainty. We need to make sure that we survive. And not that long ago, food was a thing. Food scarcity was a thing. And so holding on to as much fat stores as possible and slowing down the metabolism was an adaptive survival response. In, in the, the history of humanity, it's only really a relatively new thing that we have access to food. And there's, of course, a lot of people on the planet that don't have the access to food that we have. And so it was a survival mechanism. And it's but totally even if you're understandable. Not stressed out, even if you're not stressed out about food, the stress makes your physical body stressed out about food without you even knowing it. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Stress, yeah. any form of stress when somebody's getting through a divorce yeah. or whether somebody has debt or coronavirus or all three happening together that yeah. can really create a hormone in them. So what do you, what are your suggests as a biohacker to reduce stress, to reduce cortisol? What is the number one thing that somebody can do to be able to eliminate this stress in their life? So I would say the number one thing would be to take a breath and then let that breath go. We always have our breath with us. And each moment is another opportunity to have a mindful breath. 
Every inhale literally is inspiration. Every exhale is that release. And so that's, that's the number one thing that there's no excuses. We always have our breath with us and paying attention to our breath is the fastest way to hack our nervous system, move out of the parasympathetic into the sympathetic and bring those stress hormones down. So that's the number one thing. Now, quality relationships, having friends that you can laugh with, quality time, that's been shown to be the number one indicator for longevity overall, more than smoking, more than exercise. It's these positive social interactions. So time with people, huge. Time in nature, grounding on the grass, looking up at the clouds, feeling the breeze, seeing the sun, time in nature. And so there's, there, you know, biohacking, we have all these tools and all these sophisticated, you know, sound, light, vibration. There are no excuse. Everybody has access to um, these, these three number tips. one, three, three tools. Yeah. yeah. No, I love these three tips. These trips are, are so I never knew why nature was so important to me. I always like, as I was growing my business, I feel like when I'm in cortisol mode, I'm allergic to nature. Mm, like when I'm so yeah. busy working, I'm like, let's not waste time and go on vacation and go to the beach. No, let's work, 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 work. Yeah. Cause winter is coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're absolutely right. When somebody's so, so in the world of winter's coming, they call it the hustle and the grind. When somebody's so hustly, so grindy, and they don't make time for nature, what ends up happening is it's very normal for their body to go into fight or flight and for them to have poor relationships, for yeah, them it's to- It's a regulation. Like yeah, think for, about regulation or dysregulation, right? Right, right, right. So if you're always in that, if you're always not breathing, holding your breath, because I feel like when I'm, when I'm not breathing, you know, sometimes I feel, I feel myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not even breathing. And I'm not even sure why I feel anxious and jittery. And it's often because I'm not breathing. And even if I take three minutes of meditation of me, just, you know, when I say meditation, not thinking of like some weird thing, but literally just focusing on my breath for three minutes and inhaling and exhaling with counts. Mm -hmm. And I just, I come out of it and it's like, my brain just had a bath. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. whoa, what just happened in three minutes? What do you tell somebody that's, just uncomfortable with their mind being quiet. It's like a tremendous mm. amount of discomfort. They need the mm. craziness. They need the yeah. hustle. They need the grind. What do you tell somebody that has yeah. a tremendous amount of discomfort with being calm? Yeah. So it's, it's normal and it's understandable. The way that we feel like we've survived is by being on top of things. And if we have un, you know, resolved unknown trauma underneath in our system, which we all do, it is incredibly uncomfortable to relax because it feels like something horrible may happen any given moment. So the first thing I say is I get it, I understand, and that's normal. It's normal. So you're not weird, nothing's wrong with you, and it's dysfunctional and it's bad for your health. And so to sit, we all know that all the magic happens out of our comfort zone. And there's certain areas of our life that we embrace that like, oh yeah, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get uncomfortable for my business. I'm going to get uncomfortable setting these goals and going after it. Great. Notice where you avoid and are resistant to discomfort, whether it's your personal relationships, whether it's your relationship with yourself, relationship with nature, relationship with meditation or breath. Notice where you're more resistant to getting out of your comfort zone. Smile. Don't make a problem of it. Welcome it. And then start small. So like something like a meditation, 60 seconds, like just 60 seconds. Peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. 
It's like, you don't need to go super deep and be on top of a mountain or in a cave, right? Baby steps, microdoses. And over time, just start to notice, like you just articulated how good it feels, even when it's just a little thing. And once you start to like, hmm, there is something to this. And then just expand a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Don't like start with a 20 minute meditation right, right, because right. one, it, it will feel like out. a failure. Yeah, yeah. Most of us overachievers, the first time I tried to meditate, I was like, oh no, I'm going to meditation class. It was like an hour and a half class. <laughs> Hell, I was like, am I the only one that wants to kill someone right now? Yeah. I really yeah. thought meditation wasn't for me, but the thing about meditation is that our mind doesn't and won't become quiet for quite some time. So don't worry. <laughs> it will keep doing its thing just like a dog that's used to being fed at the table, it's going to keep coming to the table. And so our job when we're first starting to learn to meditate, is just by acknowledging it, noticing it, but not allowing it to take us. So the thoughts will come like clouds in the sky. So yeah, that that's, oh yeah, I just noticed, I just followed the cloud and I'm thinking about my shopping list or that person I didn't call or that thing that is no problem. As soon as you realize you just come back. And that's no why guided deal. meditation or body sensing meditation could be so helpful as a starting for people point. getting started yeah. for those listening to this there's an app called yeah. headspace which is um, really useful very yeah. um is a very good app as well two yeah. very powerful apps that you can use for guided or you can find yourself a coach that can walk you through a personal guided meditation for you very very powerful um in terms of can i add really yeah, quickly sure. to that because it's important because a lot of people i know get stuck with calm or headspace and they're like, they feel like they're not progressing. So just in case someone's listening and that's you totally normal too. At some point you need to let go of the guided meditation. And it's that letting go where it becomes more effortless and you don't need to follow the guide anymore. And you can more effortlessly practice like riding a bike. You got the training wheels at some point you got to take the training wheels off. And so having a coach for that is great too. Awesome. Awesome. So once you take off the training wheels, what if you have this like intense fear of gaining it back? Like you're okay. I know how mm. to lose the weight. I can cut mm. calories, but like, why should I even try if I'm going to gain it all back? Like, what do you mm. tell somebody that has that mindset in their head? Like, I'm not even ready to get started yet because I know I'm going to lose it again, but then I'm going to gain it back yeah. again. So let me focus on yeah. something else. Totally normal. Again, we've all had failure and it's painful right? And so to acknowledge that, validate that, notice if it's there, sometimes it's hidden and you just don't want to do it. You're like, oh, what's underneath that? What's underneath this resistance? Like it's fear. That disappointment is a horrible feeling. So that's normal. And hope, you know, is a thing for a reason, right? In life, we all know in certain areas of our life, we have an easier time practicing this perseverance of not giving up and like, you know, you fall down seven times, you get up eight. How many times did Thomas Edison fail, you know, creating the light bulb? Same thing. And for a lot of people, right, it's very common for this yo-yo dieting thing to have been an experience, which is heartbreaking and you feel like a failure, right? So part of it is knowing that that's normal and knowing that the next step is more of a lifestyle shift because diets don't work. Diets don't work. And even lifestyle shifts, you, you kind of like think about like you make a path in the road and at some point the path kind of gets worn and you go a little off the path. And before you know it, you're like off the path. I mean, I lost my weight. So I guess you didn't know me then, but back in 2008 and 2009, after I had my son, I weighed 150 pounds. Like now I'm 115. And let me tell you like 35, 40 pounds on me is a lot. And so 
I went through the process of, of losing the weight and I started dieting for the first time. And it took me a little while to realize that a diet was not the answer that I needed to holistically change how I treated my body and honored my body and nourished my body and looked at food, um, not as counting calories, but as information, not even just fuel, it's information. It's like the source of our food. And like, how much do I love my body that I want to give it really, really, really high quality information. And then how much do I love my body that I want to like move it all around and dance and have it be able to, you know, be juicy in all the ways that like being able to move is so juicy. Right. And so it's a relationship with life relationship with our body relationship with food. And to know that there's hope that we're, as long as we're still have another in breath, there's always another time up at the plate to use a baseball. So a lot, so, so a lifestyle change. And a lot of people talk about this. They talk about Mm -hmm. lifestyle change. Oh, you got to change your lifestyle, but Changing your lifestyle, it's like, you know, some people in certain sounds communities, awful. it just sounds like it sounds, sounds like awful. don't don't be I one like my with, life. Don't <laughs> be one with 90% of people who are eating fast food and just enjoying parties and binge drinking and taking drugs and alcohol and all the different things. Like you are you telling me to just be a weirdo? Are you just telling me to be that person that goes to the the, the, the health food store and buy special distilled water because I want to give my body good information and take all the different probiotics and vitamins and make sure to eat raw kale and then vomit. Like, like, <laughs> like, are, so I'm are not, you- I'm not a fan of extremes. Right. And so like when I coach people, I always like take an inventory of like, tell me everything about your life right now. And then you just make tiny little switches. So like if someone, for example, if someone loves ketchup, ketchup is like their favorite thing, Right. And we determine that the fact that they put ketchup on everything is like an extra, I don't know, let's just say 35 grams of sugar each day and X number of calories and it's dumping into their system. And I'm like, all right, so tell me about the ketchup. We talk about the ketchup and it's like, all right, are you open to trying a different substitute like salsa that doesn't have sugar added or like, and we find little ways to just make small changes like someone doesn't have to, I didn't stop drinking all at once. Over time, I drank less and less because I realized that it was not making me feel good. And then anybody that I was hanging out with that like was a jerk to me, I'll I'll use nice words, was a jerk to me because I decided in that particular evening, I wasn't going to drink. They're not my people. Mm. And like hanging out with your people, hanging out with people that respect you and lift you up and want to see you be the best version of you, not see you stinky. I curse a lot. Yeah. As you change your priorities priorities as a human being, you may have to change the people around. Yeah. Because you want to hang out with high vibe people. You don't want to hang out ultimately with people that are sabotaging their own lives and and kind of secretly want to see you sabotage yours. So they feel better Mm -hmm. about themselves. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to get judged. So the truth is when I started drinking a lot of water, people would judge me about the water. They'd be like, what's with the water? Why don't you drink vodka? Why are you drinking water? And I would just go to places and I'd be like, I'm just happy drinking water. And they're like, what are you, some type of, you know, cat? (laughs) They use a different word. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, no, I just, I I feel like my body needs water and it doesn't need all these poisons. And and they would just like make me feel bad about it. And they're like, come on, have some, you know, have some vodka, have some like, you know, and I'm not saying I don't drink anymore. I do drink once in a while. I'll have one or two drinks, but I'm not going to drink an entire bottle. And I'm going to focus on drinking a lot of water and running and being healthy and prioritizing nutrition, things mm-hmm. that are nutritious over things that are delicious. 
that was a big shift for me as well. Yeah. Well, also our taste change, but just to, to highlight what you were saying, you know, it really comes down to the root of it, what our values are and what our core needs are. And most of us aren't particularly aware, self-aware of our values or our core needs. So that in and of itself is a first wonderful activity. If, even if you haven't done it in a while, be like, wait, you know, what are my core values? What are my core needs? How am I meeting those for myself? Because mm. we're responsible for meeting our own needs, right? Via so our values, like, not via over, like discounting our values in order to get our needs met. Right. And then it's like, okay, yeah, because we all need connectedness and belonging. That is a core need, right? And so if in the past, you know, we have a circle of, of family or friends or whatever that, you know, maybe knew the old us, that had different values and maybe they're not growing as fast as we are. There is oftentimes a rub where yeah. someone who you value the relationship, you value what they think of you, you value the connectedness and belonging you get from them. They give you a hard time and they may be a jerk and you may have the opportunity to, to pull them aside at some point, not in a social situation, be like, Hey, I want to talk to you about this because this is really important to me. And I really care about our relationship and I care about your support and it's, and I really would love it if I can get it. And if they it can't, they can't. It takes a lot to even yeah. have that conversation. Too. Well, it depends on the person and the relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah super vulnerable. So what you're saying is at the end of the day is changing your lifestyle is changing your habits, your thoughts, your beliefs, the way that you are, maybe even sometimes your personality, your taste will change. Maybe You'll enjoy. And that sounds awful though. Yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah. not. Maybe just being a little bit open to making little tiny shifts Mm -hmm. could, could lead you down a road that is so wonderful. Like when I stopped eating processed food, I stopped eating everything with the artificial additives, right? Of course, Cheetos are delicious. I mean, they're delicious. Who doesn't love a Cheeto? But they're not nutritious. But, but it's disgusting. If you really look at, read the label, the artificial like orange number eight and yellow number two, and all of this additives that are chemicals that are known to be horrible for our system, that's not food. So for me, I cut that stuff out and I started eating more like fresh fruit and fresh vegetables and nuts and seeds. And my whole palate changed and things I that I used to think were dull. I couldn't like eat you, a smoothie. I couldn't either. Yeah, I used to be like so dull. Now I love a smoothie with just- Because yeah, added sugar, added salt, artificial nothing, taste. Nothing. Yeah. Our, we've, we've been poisoned, literally yeah. poisoned. And yeah. our brain has been screwed with like Frankenstein brain mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, to crave things that are part of, like a, of a food industry. Right. Yeah, it's a profit. They're driven by profits. They don't care about yeah. people. Yeah. If they cared about people, they wouldn't put poison in the food and then lobby the government to say that it was okay. Right. FDA <laughs> like approved. Cheerios are good for it's you. Horrible. Right. It's horrible. Right. It's horrible. And as humans, we get to be angry and rise up and be like, no, I'm not going to buy that stuff. I'm not going to give that stuff to my kids. I'm not going to eat it. And yeah, it takes a little more effort to one, change our behavior and then find replacements. But that's why coaches are great. Awesome. Okay. So if somebody wanted to hire you as a coach, what would they do to get in touch with you? What's the best way for someone sure. to find you? Sure. So um, my company is Portal and it's P-R-T-L. So four letters, P-R-T-L.com. Um, there's a coaching page, there's a free consult. Now at portal, we coach on physical, mental, nutritional sleep and communal fitness. Mm. So we do as part of the consult, there's like a really like quick two minute questionnaire. So we get a sense of where you're at and your perceptions around what you're ready for, because readiness is a thing. Some people aren't ready to talk about food. Fine. No problem. Lots of other stuff to talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but they sign up, you can go to the website, sign up for the free consult, and then you'll either work with uh, myself or my director of coaching, Hannah, and have a consult and then mm -hmm. learn more about the whole process. I love it. I love it. This was great. Thank you so much for being on the program and looking forward to seeing you again soon.
Thank you so much, you rock. Have a great day. Lots of love. This episode of The Breakthrough Maze is brought to you by Ajax Union, a digital marketing agency based in Brooklyn, New York. Ajax Union's core focus is to support B2B companies to generate better leads, nurture those leads from the top of the funnel to the bottom line. Visit www.ajaxunion.com to learn more about our amazing offering. Thanks for listening to The Breakthrough Maze, hosted by Joe Applebaum. We hope that by listening to the journey of a stranger, you've become inspired to want a little more freedom, a little more power, and a little more vitality. To find out more about Joe Applebaum or this incredible public coaching session, go to www.joeapplebaum.com. Also, head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Help make it possible for more people to benefit from this free coaching. And leave a comment describing what you got out of this episode.